All right, guys, how's it going? Can you hear me without the mic, or should I use the mic? What's the vibe from the people in the back? Cool, thanks. Um, okay, so I just wanted to first start off by thanking everyone for coming. I know it's kind of crazy the semester is wrapping up. Sorry, fellow seniors, for the reminder, but really there's a lot of things pressing for our time right now and things that we have to choose to prioritize, and I think it's super crazy and amazing that you guys chose to spend a Tuesday night here with us at FCA, just worshiping and being able to take a pause in your week. So I'm gonna open us up in prayer and then we can get into it. Heavenly Father, I just wanted to thank you first and foremost for this opportunity to be here, to be your vessel, to speak to these people. I ask that you just use me in a way that words that are coming from me are not from me, but just through you and through your word alone, Lord. I ask that you open the hearts of people who are here to hear the message that I have, you know, whatever they might be, wherever they might be this week. I just thank you for bringing them here, for tugging on their heart, for having them here. And I just ask you to bless each and every one of them the rest of this week, the rest of the semester, and throughout the rest of their journey, Father. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start off with a question, and I want an answer back, so don't leave me hanging. Can somebody tell me what this coming Sunday is? It's a pretty easy question. Thank you. It's Palm Sunday. And so that's when Jesus entered Jerusalem and it's the start of Holy Week. And so now I have another question, but this one's rhetorical, so don't feel the need to shout this one out. But think about it. Answer it in your head. As we prepare for Holy Week, what have you found yourself thinking about? Maybe you've been thinking about the brutality of the passion that Erin mentioned in her talk last week. Go listen to it. It was pretty fire. Maybe you're thinking about the celebration that comes from the resurrection which is pretty crazy, the most pivotal point in history for Christians. Or maybe you're focusing on the hope that can be found in the ascension. Maybe it's something else entirely, not one of those three things, but I found myself focusing on how those three things all work together and mix to show the fulfillment of the promises and prophecies that God gave to the people of the Old Testament. And specifically, I found myself thinking back to Moses and the Israelites and their wandering throughout the desert after God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. They didn't know how long they were going to be in that season of hardship and uncertainty, but they knew that they had to trust in the promise that God gave Moses that he would eventually deliver them into the promised land. So they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years, and throughout this time, God continued to remain faithful to them despite many hardships that they went through. And most of the time, the Israelites did not deserve God's deliverance and favor throughout this. So I'm going to give three examples of that. But first, a little background. Exodus, second book of the Bible. Up until chapter 12, the Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. So that would be like if everyone in America had been enslaved from 1592 until now. That's a crazy long time. No one you know, no stories that have been passed down would go further than that. All the people knew was slavery. But then God delivered them. He sent 12 plagues that eventually led to Pharaoh sending the Israelites out of Egypt out of fear, really, of God. And that began the Exodus. And so if we want to put the first slide up there, 
They had not been wandering the desert long when God told Moses that he was going to use the Egyptians as an example of God's sovereignty and power. So he hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh and the entire Egyptian army started to pursue the Israelites again to try and enslave them. And so in Exodus 14, starting in verse 9, sorry, there's, it's a lot of words, but I'll step out of the way this way. It says, so the Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at the sea. So this is at the Red Sea. Skip a little bit. This is when the Lord is instructing Moses on how to part the Red Sea. So we skip ahead and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night that made, and made the sea dry land. The waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back down upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea and the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. This is the second time that the Lord saved Israel from the Egyptians. And here we can see the Israelites are facing pretty great hardship. They have the entire Egyptian army, as we see repeated multiple times, all of Pharaoh's horses, all of his chariots, all of his horsemen and his army are pursuing this one small group of people that have no horses, no chariots, no horsemen, and no army. They're backed up against the water and afraid for what is going to happen. They have already forgotten that God had delivered them from the, the Egyptians in the first place. But despite this, God miraculously delivered them by parting the Red Sea and saving the Israelites, showing God's power to the Egyptians. So now you would think, okay, this is twice in a row that God has saved the Israelites. First, it was through 10 different plagues, kind of crazy, pretty miraculous. Now he's parted a sea, a literal body of water that they walked through, and there was walls of water. If you grew up in the church, you've probably seen images of like little fish swimming in the water while the um, Israelites are walking through it. It's really crazy to think about and conceptualize that idea. But just two chapters later, we see that the Israelites had once again forgotten the fact that God protected them by parting the sea and already began to complain about grumbling. If we can get to the next slide. They were complaining about their starvation. So again, the scripture reads, this is in Exodus 16. As the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, would that we have died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meal pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven to you. And then I skipped a little section again, and this was just talking about the instructions for collecting the bread. 
And then so in verse 13, it continues, In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel, of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Once again, we see the Israelites facing a hardship, forgetting that the Lord has delivered them, complaining, having no faith in Moses and their path that the Lord has sent them on and being afraid. They're complaining and they're hungry, which I think most of us can say that's pretty fair. If you were hungry in the desert, I would probably get a little worried as well. But they have just seen all of these miraculous ways that God has delivered them and they forgot and they didn't trust Moses and they didn't trust God. But despite that, God once again delivered them and he sent them food even though they were ungrateful. God still provided for them. After this, just the very next chapter, the Israelites had decided, okay, our stomachs are full. We're no longer hungry. But you know, bread makes us thirsty and we have no water now. And then they start complaining again that they don't have water, that they are thirsty, that they are in the desert. Again, being in the desert with no water, something that would scare me. But they literally just woke up to bread on the ground. That's pretty miraculous. And once again, they don't trust Moses and God to provide for them. So in Exodus 17, it says, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up? out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you will strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And so and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So now, not only are the people complaining, but they're saying they're completely forgetting and just not being grateful for what the Lord did because they said, why did you even bring us out of Egypt? We'd rather be enslaved in Egypt for the history of 430 years than to be here thirsty. We're going to die in the desert when we could have just lived in slavery, which... Again, one of those crazy things that you're like, do not just remember. Looking back on it, reading the scriptures and the verses, this is in a span of four chapters that they forgot what the Lord had done. And then the Lord forgave them and continued to deliver them, and then they forgot again. And this cycle is something that I feel like we can relate to some, but also I think it's funny in this chapter, in this little section that I said, that Moses cried to the Lord, what do I do with them? They're complaining to me. This is your power. Moses is almost getting exasperated with God, saying, why did you stick me with these people? How do they not remember? I'm here being your leader, and you have given me power over these people who keep forgetting. Why do they keep forgetting? I don't understand. You have done all of these things for us, and they still don't remember. But we see God doesn't care about their complaining, or their grumbling, or their ingratitude and continues to provide for them. This continues throughout the rest of the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the wilderness. God would provide for them 
and they would pause to celebrate and worship him and then continue on their journey and immediately start complaining about something different. God would once again provide and the cycle would continue. The Israelites were facing some pretty tough hardships, so I feel like we can relate to them of complaining. I feel like that's just kind of the human nature is when you're unhappy with something, when you're uncomfortable, get a little complaining. I know on our team sometimes it happens when things aren't going our way, travel plans don't go the way we wanted, we got out of a game and it's 10 o'clock and there's nowhere to eat dinner and we're like, what are we going to do now? And so you start complaining a little bit because you're hungry and there's nowhere to eat. But we have eaten before and we will figure it out and we will have a plan, just like the Israelites. So now, I don't know about you guys, but even further, looking at the whole world, I feel like we can see some parallels between the Israelites and us. So now we're going to go back to that interactive section. I have an answer or a question for you guys that I want answers from. So, okay, answer back. What hardships do you guys think that the world is currently facing? I can stand here. But COVID. COVID. Conflict in Ukraine. Conflict in Ukraine. We go to Furman. There's some academic difficulty sometimes. Sports can be difficult. It doesn't need to be something crazy difficult, but we're going through all these different things that I would say are hardships that could compare. So if we want to put up the next one, I came up with this list, and I think the top three globally are things that are kind of pretty apparent. Pandemic, war in general, but specifically I have an invasion of Ukraine, and high levels of political unrest within our nation. I believe that while we won't be able to fully understand what God's deliverance from these things look like until we are fully removed from them, it's easy for us to laugh at the Israelites for continuing to forget God's deliverance. But when we look at these things, we get frustrated. Why is the pandemic still happening? Why was study abroad canceled because of it? Why was all of our plans have changed? Why with the invasion of Ukraine, gas prices are really expensive now? Why are all these things happening and we forget that God has a plan throughout all of it and that he's going to deliver us from these things and these things have a reason. So, we continue on, and I think we can get little tastes and see how God is working through these things. For example, we can see how effective the vaccine has been in slowing the spread and decreasing the death toll. We can see how truly so much of the world has come together to aid Ukraine and to accept the refugees and to provide military support for this atrocity. And I feel like we can see that there's been a rise in conversation on topics that a lot of us weren't aware of due to privilege beforehand. I think this shows that we're really the same as the Israelites wandering in the desert. We laugh at them forgetting their deliverances, but we do the same thing when we complain about what is happening and we don't see that God has a plan for it. I feel like we can make this framework of the Israelites were given two major deliverances with a bunch of little deliverances in between. So the first one was from slavery in Egypt. They spent 430 years in slavery. Again, that's crazy. People who were enslaved from the very beginning still had the promise that God gave them of ending up in the promised land. But they don't even know the names of their descendants that ended up entering into the promised land. 430 years is on a timeline that like, I feel like I can't even conceptualize. So they were delivered from slavery there's all these little things throughout the desert, and then eventually they did get to the promised land. I feel like our framework, we can model it 
in a very similar way. Whereas we start with the deliverance of sin on the cross. Christ came and died and was resurrected and ascended for us to be forgiven and released from the shame and the weight of our sin as long as we're in relationship with Christ. And our capstone that we're waiting for is the second coming of Christ and for the coming of the new world and the new earth and the new heaven and these things that are coming. And we'll have all these little deliverances in between now and then. I mean, Christ died, rose, 2,000 years ago now, and we're still in this middle period. But we have been delivered from so many things throughout history that God had a hand in all of those. And we're now just waiting for this second coming. We can see in the next slide that Revelation 21 says about the second coming, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, as the former things have passed away. That is what we have to look forward to. That is the hope that we have, that there will eventually come a day where there's no mourning, no crying, no grumbling over being hungry or thirsty. We will be in direct community with Christ and with the Heavenly Father. And I think that is pretty crazy and something that gives me hope and gives me joy and that I can put my faith in when I look at the things around the world that I don't understand and that I don't feel like I can see how God is delivering and using in his will because we know that something is better is coming and we can look back on our recent history, things that we've come through, we can look back on our ancient history, the things that the Israelites went through and were delivered from, and we can rest on that. So a few takeaways. I want you to go back to the beginning of this when I asked what was being put on your heart this Easter season. Are you using this time to remind yourself of the hope that we can find within the resurrection and the promised second coming? I think that that is something that becomes so huge with Easter. We know Easter is about the resurrection and that's what everything points to. And so we, I feel like a lot of times Easter gets lost in presents and egg hunts and anything else. I feel like I have gone into a big rut with Easter. I went to the same church growing up until I came to college and I feel like we had the same Easter service every year. And it just never really hit me differently until last year because of COVID I couldn't go home. So I was going to the church that I go to here, Grace Downtown, and we did a Monday Thursday service, which was the Stages of the Cross, and then I went to Easter here. And it completely shook me because it was totally different from how the service was at home. Not any different theologically, it's the same thing. We're still talking about the hope that comes with the resurrection. But I was reinvigorated by this spirit and this hope that comes not necessarily just from the resurrection. I feel like that is the joy that we can have, but the hope that it's gonna happen again and that Christ is going to return. And that's amazing. Now, I want you to think about the hardships that God has already delivered you from in your life. Maybe it was a sickness, an injury, some relationship problems, academic struggles, whatever it may be. Reflect on those and think about how 
you've gone through them. Now, think about the struggles that you're experiencing now. Are you trusting that the Lord will deliver you from these just like he did with those in your past? I feel like looking at my own testimony, I can see times when I know I had no control over my life. And the only, truly the only reason that I'm here is because of God. And then I get frustrated with him for not having a job yet. And I don't know what I'm going to be doing in a month. And that makes me anxious and that makes me confused and angry because I feel like I should have a job by now. And I get worried that I'm just not going to end up with a job. But I can look back and know God has taken me from these places before and he's delivered me in better way, bigger and better ways before I'm going to get a job. It's going to be fine. God will provide. Even if I don't have a job right after graduation, God will still provide through that time. And lastly, maybe you're sitting here and you've realized that you don't have hope or faith in the second coming at all, and maybe you just have questions about your faith in general. I want you to know that I feel like everyone goes through seasons of questions in their faith, so that's not something to be ashamed of, and that is something that you need to ask them. And I love asking questions and people asking me questions and doing research to try and figure out answers and to try and counsel through those ways. So if you have a question, come to me. Come to someone on FCA leadership. Most of them are in FCA t-shirts or sweatshirts or anything. And let them know a question if you don't know the answer to it. If they don't know the answer to it, we'll go to Ben or we'll do our own research and we'll try and get you an answer. But that is what we're here for. So just know that if you have a question, come to somebody and ask it. And whether that's you have no understanding of the Bible, the Old Testament, Christ, the Passion, anything about what Easter is, or if it's some really deep philosophical, theological question that is just really grinding at your bones, ask. And we'll help you answer it, we'll help you walk alongside it, and give you the tools to be able to answer your future questions on your own. So that's pretty much all I have tonight, but I want to reiterate that if anything resonated with you, if you have any questions, please don't leave without asking them. Find somebody, find me. I'll be here as long as you need to ask questions. You can DM me on Instagram if you need to be somewhere else, whatever. Find someone, text me, whatever. I would love to answer your questions or to help find answers for them if I don't have them because I don't have answers to everything. So with that, I'm just going to pray and I ask you guys to bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I just wanted to thank you so much for this opportunity to come here and to speak to my peers and to just deliver this message that you've put on my heart. I hope that you have moved through this room and that it has not been through me that people don't remember me or anything that I said tonight, but they remember how you felt and how you spoke to them. Lord, I ask you to just continue to move with us and to resonate with people and to sit in people's hearts and minds throughout the rest of the week and the rest of the semester and just continue to move and make changes on this campus. Father, I ask that you put your hands of protection and comfort around anyone in this room that may need it because you are forever the utmost comforter. Father, we love you so much and we are expecting and cannot wait for your return. Amen.